Well, good morning. My name is Nathan T. Meyer. I'm one of the pastors here at The Crossing, and whether you're with us here in person or you're joining us online, we're really glad you're worshiping with us this morning. And to begin with, um, I want to ask you, have you ever had a conversation that you started and you thought it was going to go in a particular direction and that you quickly found out that it was going to go in an entirely different way? Um, When I was in seminary, I always... um, made it a point to try to connect relationally with my professors, whether that was after class or outside of class or something like that. And one day I found myself walking across campus with one of my professors who had, let's call it a gruff reputation. So he was sort of relationally intimidating. Uh, but, but that day I thought I found my opening because he was wearing a Spider-Man tie and it looked something like this. It wasn't subtle at all. And so I thought, he's got to be a Spider-Man fan, right? And that was great because, hey, ever since I was a kid, I've been a Spider-Man fan, reading comic books and so forth. And so I thought, we're going to bond over Spider-Man. This is going to be awesome. And so I, uh, walking alongside of him, I I pointed very confidently, mind you, at his tie. And I said, so, you're a Spider-Man fan, huh? And and here's what I thought would happen. I I thought would happen is, is, is this. He'd, he'd say, yes, of course, and, and you are too. And I'd say, yeah, absolutely, who isn't? And, and then we'd get along famously, and I'd probably become his favorite student out of the whole thing, and then he'd answer all my questions that I ever wanted, right? Well, well here's how it actually went. Me, so you're a Spider-Man fan, huh? Him, no. <laughs> I'm wearing this because my five-year-old son gave it to me which gives you some idea of the age range he probably thought it was appropriate to be a Spider-Man fan. And so I was kind of stumbling around, and I don't know what I said, but something like, ah, like that. And then I tried to change the subject, and I I asked him about something that we were talking about in class, and to which he replied, you know, you're always trying to get ahead of me. Just, Just wait. We'll get there. And that was that. And so I continued on my merry way. And that was a revealing conversation Not because the conversation went the way I thought it would, but because it revealed to me I probably need to have a lot less confidence in my people reading skills. Well, today I want to look at another conversation that a man initiates, and this time it's with Jesus. And this conversation, too, isn't going the way that I think that man thought it would. And it also reveals to him that he probably needs to have a lot less confidence in himself. And, and I want to look at this conversation because I think it has something to say to every one of us, no matter whether you've been trying to follow Jesus for a long time or whether you don't really know what you think of him. I think we'll all be challenged and encouraged by what this conversation has to teach us. And so we find the story in Mark chapter 10. We begin in verse 17. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want to stop right there because we should notice a few important things. First is this this question seems really important to this man because he runs up to Jesus. And that's uncommon in that culture. People didn't run very often, but he does. And not only that, but he, he gets down on his knees and very respectfully calls Jesus good teacher. Now, the third thing is, is that this is maybe the most important question that anyone could ever ask. I mean, it's absolutely teed up. And and here's the thing, helping people experience or find eternal life is very much a core aspect of Jesus's mission. And so you might expect Jesus to 
to turn and give this man a relatively simple, straightforward answer about how he can inherit eternal life. But, but that's not what he does. Instead, he asks the man a question and then follows it up with a statement of his own. Let's read it. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Well, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, it sounds almost rude, right? But, but we have to remember that whenever Jesus asks questions, he's always doing it with a purpose, and that's certainly true here in this case because he's already trying to help this man understand some things that he really has to hear. Now, having said that, I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say the man is wrong for calling him good. He only asks, why do you call me good? And then he follows it up with, no one is good but God alone. And so in doing that, I think Jesus is asking this man to connect a few dots. So, for example, if, if, if the man is correct and Jesus is good, and Jesus is correct that no one is good but God alone, well, that means that, that Jesus isn't just a mere man. He's God himself. And that has all kind of ramifications, right? But certainly, that whatever Jesus is going to say, that's going to be really important. It's going to have authority. And then secondly, if no one is good but God alone, then the man needs to realize, well, that, that applies to him as well. Now, I don't think Jesus means that the man is not nice or he's not respectful or he doesn't do things that we might think of as good. But, but I think of what he's saying is that, that in some fundamental way, this man doesn't qualify as good when measured up against the holiness of God. And that's the crucial thing to understand in a conversation about inheriting eternal life. But, but Jesus didn't end it there. He keeps going, and he tells the man this. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So, so here Jesus is pointing the man to several of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, and the unspoken question that he has in doing that is, well, how well are you doing in following these commands? How, how well do you keep them? Well, here's the way the man answers. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Okay, we don't have any reason to believe that the man is not being sincere when he answers that way, but, but, but is that really true? Has he really kept all those commandments since he was a boy? You know, another thing that happens in conversations very often is that people will use the, the, the same words or the same phrases, and yet they, they mean entirely different things. And, and I know this to be true by experience because I have conversations regularly with my children, right? And so, for instance, I may say something like, hey, when you're done with dinner, you need to clean up your place at the table and put your dishes away. And I know what I mean by that. What I don't mean is, take your dishes, put them in the, the sink and fill them up with water and leave them there indefinitely when the dishwasher is right there. It's right there, right? Now, my kids might counter that we also have a different definition of overbearing parent, right? And by the way, in my household, I don't know how this works, but we always navigate these differences with complete harmony and peace and so on. Um, <clears throat> but... But getting back to this conversation, I think that's exactly what's happening here. I mean, this man says, I've kept all these things since I was a boy. And in his mind, he probably has. 
But, but elsewhere, Jesus tells us in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, as a matter of fact, what it really means to follow God's commandments. And so he says things like, well, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder. But I tell you that if you've been angry with somebody, then you're liable to judgment. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But, but I tell you, if you've looked at somebody lustfully, well, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's what it really means to follow the commandments. And so, yes, this man probably hasn't murdered anybody, and he probably hasn't slept with anybody outside of his marriage, but, but, but has he been angry with somebody? Has he looked at somebody in the wrong way? Well, well that's a pretty safe bet. And, and that means he's fallen short of the kind of righteousness he needs to inherit eternal life, at least under his own power. Because again, the, the standard that we're talking about is God himself. So remember, the man has missed the significance of Jesus saying no one is good but God alone, and now he's failing to understand just how high the bar is to obey the commandments, not according to his standard, but according to God's. And so the man hasn't caught any of this yet, and and so at this point in the conversation, he's probably thinking, man, I really hope Jesus tells me something like this. Congratulations, you have done enough awesome job. You can inherit eternal life. Go in peace. And, and yet that's not what Jesus does because that would be doing the man a profound disservice because it's just not true. So, so let's look at what happens next. Mark says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now this is a really important point for us to get because it means that what happens next is actually motivated by Jesus's love for this man. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to tell him something that's going to be pretty hard for him to hear. And so just as an aside, just as an aside, does your definition of love include things like this? Well, Jesus' does. And so listen to what he says. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, It's important to note that Jesus doesn't tell this to everybody that he comes across. So the question for us this morning is, why does Jesus tell this man to do this in this particular situation? Now again, remember, he's missed the implication that no one's good but God alone. And and he's missed the fact that he can't truly and consistently keep the commandments like he should. And so Jesus, interestingly enough, he doesn't argue with the guy. He doesn't say, no, you can't. He just ups the ante. Because in saying what he says, Jesus is basically saying this. Okay, you've said you obeyed all of these commandments. Well, well now, that's great, that's great, but, but let's kick it up a notch. I, I want to see how well you're doing with another commandment, the very first commandment. And that is, you shall have no other gods before me. So what I want to know is, which God are you really willing to trust? Your possessions? Or the Lord? Well, this is the, the way the man replies. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So as it turns out, the man, he's not ready to stop loving and trusting in his wealth for his security and his happiness. And, and he may never have realized this before, but that effectively means that he's worshiping another God. To use a, a chess analogy, Jesus has been moving the pieces on the board up till now, but this, this is checkmate. 
Because now the man comes face to face with the idea that he's not living in a way that's good enough to inherit eternal life. Because no one, no one is good, no one is good enough except God alone. And so that brings me to a question I think we all need to, to wrestle with this morning, and that's this. If Jesus were to look at you and to love you and say, you need to leave behind blank, whatever fits in the blank, and come follow me, what would be hard for you? What would you have a hard time with? Maybe, maybe it's the very same thing. I think for a lot of us, it might be one of the, the same things that this man struggled with. It's our possessions. Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you just as long as I can keep my stuff and maybe add to it over time. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's um, the approval of people that are important to you in some way. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's influential people in your life. But you say, Yes, Jesus, I'll trust you. I'll follow you as long as you don't put me at odds with them because I don't want them to think I'm one of those people. Maybe it's something like sex outside of God's good design for it. You say, Jesus, I'll tell you yes if you don't tell me no to the experiences I want to have when I want to have them. Maybe it's a spouse or maybe, maybe it's a different spouse. And you say, Jesus, you need to give me the person that I think I need to make me happy or I'm out. Maybe it's your kids. Getting your kids the kind of life that you think they need. Maybe that's through sports. Maybe that's through getting them into the best college or or whatever. And you say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. Just don't take me away from all the weekend tournaments. Don't, Don't take me away from the job that I have to have so I can pay for all that huge tuition. Because my kids have to have a certain life. Maybe it's something really simple, like comfort. That's true of me very often. But it could be a thousand things. But whatever goes into that blank, that's the thing that you tend to love and trust and cherish and worship more than Jesus. And so I hope, I hope we're beginning to see that every single one of us, well, we have an awful lot in common with this man because we too fail to follow the first of the Ten Commandments. And and that means we're not good enough either. If if left to our own devices, we, we don't merit eternal life. And so that means we need a remedy for all the ways we fail to trust and love God as we should. And that's why it's good that this story isn't over. Even though the man has gone away, the story continues, and it, and it might seem like it gets worse before it gets better, but it is going to get better. So let's, let's keep going. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, take note of that, we'll come back to that, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each one of them, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, the disciples are amazed at what Jesus says here about rich people not entering the kingdom of God or being hard because 
because they probably, like many people in the day, thought that riches were a sign of God's blessing. But, but Jesus doubles down. He repeats it. He says, children, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he gives his very memorable illustration about a camel going through the eye of a needle. And, and this leaves the disciples even more amazed. Because, gosh, if, if, if somebody who's rich can't be saved, then what hope is there for the rest of us? And so they say that. Who then can be saved? And that gets directly to Jesus' point. Because the answer is no one. At least not under their own power. It's impossible with us, Jesus says. But, but, importantly, but, not with God. And that means the remedy for our failure to love and trust God has to come from outside of us. It has to come from the grace and power of God. And so the question is, well, how how do we experience that grace and power? Well, it's interesting because before this conversation that, that Jesus has with this rich man, he's been having another conversation with his disciples. And part of that conversation has to do with children, actually. And I think that's exactly why Jesus is addressing his disciples as children right here, because he wants them to recall the conversation that they just had. So he says this. For the kingdom of God, in that conversation, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, and he's meaning children. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' point isn't that, that children are inherently pure and innocent. I mean, if, if you've got kids you've, or you've been around kids older than a few months, you, you realize that's not true at all, right? But his point is that children, particularly young children, are very dependent. They're needy. And they know it. They know they're not self-sufficient, and so they're not bashful at all about going to people who have more resources than they are to fix their problems. And so I remember, like, when my wife and I, when, when our kids were toddlers, they would run up to us, just their little hands in the air like this, and, and they would want something, and they'd say, hold you, hold you, like that, because they, they know they needed help. And, and Jesus says, that, 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 that's the attitude that we need if we're going to inherit the eternal life. You can't be someone who thinks they're self-sufficient, who, who, who thinks that they can have confidence in anything, whether it's moral performance, whether it's anything else. Instead, the kingdom of God belongs to those who know they're needy, who know they don't measure up, who know that they run after a thousand different little idols. It belongs to those people who are willing to repent of their self-sufficiency, and who know that the only hope they have is the grace and the new life, the forgiveness and the new life that comes through trusting in what Jesus has done for them through the cross and his resurrection. And that's why Jesus famously starts the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. He starts it this way. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, the people who don't bring anything to the table, who know that, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So my question is, what's your approach going to be today? And not just today, but, but, but next month, 20 years from now. What's your approach going to be? Are, are you hoping to be self-sufficient? That somehow you can put together some kind of resume that makes you good enough 
before God? Or are you willing to admit that you're needy and keep admitting you're needy? That your only hope is to depend on Christ and what he's done for you. Still, story's not quite done yet. Verse 28. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. You see, Peter and the rest of the disciples, well, they had actually done what the man had refused to do. They, they had left pretty much everything. And they were following Jesus. They were trusting Jesus. And now Peter wants to know, is it worth it? And you know what? That's a great question. That's a question we all have to ask. We all have to ask repeatedly. Like, like when Jesus says, hey, I want you to leave behind blank and come follow me. We have to ask ourselves, is that, is that really worth it? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, it's really crucial that we understand Jesus isn't preaching some kind of prosperity, mechanical prosperity gospel here. Hey, you put a dollar down, you're going to get 100 back in no time flat. But what he is saying, I think, is that you will leave nothing valuable behind, whether that's your home, whether that's your relationships, whether that's your means of income, that you will not be abundantly, abundantly compensated for when you follow me. And yes, yes, there will be persecutions too. It won't always be puppies and rainbows. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but it will be worth it. And here's the thing. That's just in this life. In the age to come, you'll have eternal life. Uh, most of you probably know who Taylor Swift is, you know, huge global mega pop star. And many of you know that, that she's been on tour this summer. Maybe some of you have gone to the show. Uh, she just recently played in Kansas City, as a matter of fact, at Arrowhead Stadium. That's a picture of it right there. And I, I, what I don't know, if you know, is that, that when the tickets for this tour went on sale, it was an absolute disaster. Because of the huge demand of Taylor Swift fans, it, it just basically crashed the website. And so fans got online and they, they would get kicked out of the online queue for the tickets, or they, they'd have to wait for hours and hours and hours. Well, a friend of mine was bound and determined to get Taylor Swift tickets, because not only is she a fan, but, but her kids are as well. And so she really wanted to go take her kids, take her family, and, and experience the concert. And so on the day that they went on sale, she got online, and like everybody else, she got caught up in all the chaos. And she ended up, when it was all said and done, spending about eight hours online. And she didn't plan on this, but she couldn't leave for the day at all because she couldn't jeopardize her Wi-Fi connection. So she's just sitting there with her computer for eight hours, which I don't know about you, but that sounds miserable to me. I mean, that, that sounds like that's not worth it at all. I mean, you're giving up a day of your life pretty much to do this. But, but maybe, maybe you'd have a different answer if, if, if like my friend, well, you actually got tickets at the end of that time. And, and you were able to go to the concert and, and enjoy it, but not only enjoy it, but enjoy it with your kids and, and you create the kind of memories that you, you might have as a family for a lifetime. And, and, and on top of that, 
on top of that, because you ran that eight-hour miserable gauntlet, you were actually able to get extra tickets. And remember, the demand's huge. So she was able to, to sell those extra tickets, and, and then her family was able to go on a really great summer vacation because of that. Well, you know, that day of waiting months ago, well, it, it cost my friend a lot. It turns out it was worth it. And, and, and that's what the rich man evidently didn't see, at least in the moment. It would have cost him a lot to give away everything and trust Jesus and follow him. It would have cost him a lot, but it, he wouldn't have lost. He would have gained. And in the end, he would have had the very thing that he was looking for in the first place, eternal life. I don't know if you ever figured it out. We're not told, so we don't know. But, but, but what about you? Do you see trusting and following Jesus as the thing that will take you away from the life that you really want? Or do you see it as the one thing, the one thing that in the end will help you find?